Welcome to The Frontline with FPM, where we talk about California politics, homeschool freedom, parental rights, and the family. I'm your host, Nathan Pierce, and thanks for joining us today. Let's jump right in and see what's going on here on The Frontline. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited today to have Andrew Poudois with us. Thank you so much, Andrew, for agreeing to come on our podcast and for joining us today. I am very happy to be here with you, Nathan. Well, thank you. Um, I have so many things that um, I have gotten questions from other people. I have my own questions, but um, it has been really fun to get to know you a little bit better just over the last couple of days through this Chia Whistle Stop Tour. Um, let's just quickly mention what we're doing this week yeah. that brings us together. Um, why, why don't you explain that? Well, you know, I had the idea, how can I help the state organizations reach more people? And convention attendance pretty much everywhere has been going down, but there's a lot of more homeschoolers. So where's the disparity? So I kind of thought, well, if they won't come to an event, we'll go to them. Right. And California being such a large state and <laughs> fuel being so expensive here, I don't fault people for not wanting to travel. Uh, so we've got uh, five of us, right? And mm -hmm. we are traveling in a van and we are doing six cities in five days, a rather ambitious schedule started down in Temecula and then up to Visalia. Last night we were here in San Jose. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after we finished this, we're yep. going up to, what is it? Santa Rosa. Uh, Santa Rosa, Reading, and then finishing in Sacramento. Yes. So the goal is to uh, help people learn, you know, what is CHIA, what is Family Protection Ministries? And, you know, I have a, a modicum of, of a following Mm -hmm. And so I thought if I could leverage that and just bring people in where they can hear about the important work that your organizations are doing, that would be a good thing. So uh, we got it all scheduled and um, your your team and Chia's team have done a great job of handling the logistics. And so for me, it's just kind of fun. I get to ride, ride in a car for a few hours every day with interesting people and have good conversations and strategize how to, you know, save the world and and uh, talk and meet lots of people uh, it's just been very very good and uh, um, i don't know who came up with the idea of whistle stop tour but it does evoke that kind of traditional we're going to go out and you know stump the land and bring the the message to the people so yeah it does and it's been it's been fun i mean riding in the van with everybody and having conversations and it's been really fun to uh, to get to visit with people throughout the state in such a short uh, period of time, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it has been kind of a unique... You know, and we're, of course, hoping that we can gain more GM memberships, gain more supporters for FPM, get people to Capital Day, uh, just, you know, reach those people that are going to be more uh, energized, have a better vision, and, and possibly become a, a center for... Uh, connecting and reaching out and um, bringing people in local communities into kind of the sphere of the state organizations. So, uh, it, when you look at when you look at the need to engage people with with the state organization with FPM, what 
Why, why do you feel that that's so important? And what, I mean, you mentioned that there's been a, a decrease in sort of engagement with uh, and conferences. The numbers have gone down there some. Yeah. Um, what, what is it that you feel is so important to be doing this right now? Well, you know, two, two things come to mind. Number one is a lot of people have come into homeschooling and they have their own little network. They may be, you know, part of a group like Classical Conversations or they may be come in through a charter school. They may come in through, uh, you know, some, some little network of people and then that's, that's where they stay. That's where they're happy. They're comfortable. Their needs are being met. And, and so they're not, in some cases, even aware that there's a state organization that is designed with very dedicated, selfless people trying to help provide accurate information about how to legally homeschool in the state, accurate information about what are some of the opportunities. But I think most importantly, the work that you're doing to be vigilant, uh, to monitor, to be aware and bring to people's awareness potential threats to homeschool freedom. And as you've said a couple nights now, I find it almost unbelievable that the California legislature can actually pass a thousand or more bills in one year. That's like that's like probably more than 10 a day, given how much they are inspection. <laughs> right. Who's reading these things? Who's who's actually aware of this great avalanche of law that for the most part is going to probably add restrictions and make things harder and i'm sure there are a few laws here and there that are worthy that we would all agree this would be a good change but for the most part you know like you said they just yeah. pass laws to pass laws yeah. it's a political game and it's you know another feather in their cap so to make people aware that you know we have to be vigilant we have to be diligent and we have to work together to to be, stand against those things that would threaten our freedoms and in a place like california it's pretty obvious that the majority of people are probably not in favor of increased individual freedom right um at least the majority of legislatures the majority of people may be but uh you know getting on the that edge of my life and politics what's most important and I think you're doing a great job uh, to bring that awareness to people. Well, I appreciate um, your energy in trying to help people be more aware. And I know that um, I th I know that a lot of people have have grown in that awareness this week, and hopefully that will continue on. Yeah, and hopefully the people we met will go out and be actively trying to promulgate the need for the awareness and and uh it'll it'll grow i just i feel like the whole battle's just really intensifying uh in the last few years yeah we we definitely need more people engaged in the in the battles so um to switch uh subjects a little bit um i asked uh, some people in my office as well as my kids Oh, to fun. ask some questions about okay. <laughs> uh, the, what they would like to ask you if they were here running this podcast. Okay. So um, I'll start with a couple uh, from my kids. Um, one of my kids, Mandy, asked, how old were you when you started IEW? 
Oh, okay. Um, there's there's probably kind of a long story, but the short answer is I was 34 years old. I had been a full-time violin and kinder music teacher, and I was looking for a side gig, something mm -hmm. I could just do you know, now and then to bring a little extra money because, you know, teaching music isn't the greatest way to keep your wife home and support a growing family. And so I just started doing these little writing seminars. Uh, and then by the time I was 39, I was actually making more money running around teaching writing seminars and selling some videotapes, those old VHS, yes, you remember yes. those. Then I was teaching music, so we ended up then uh, leaving where we were in Idaho, moving to California in 09. And uh, uh, I went, uh, sorry, in 99, and I went full-time. Okay. And we lived in uh, Tascadero, California for 10 years, and that's where I really built the Institute for Excellence in Writing into a viable business. Okay. And and you don't uh, teach violin or music at this point, or some, or? No, you know, when I... When I went full-time, I just poured myself into it. I, I was spending every available hour that I wasn't, you know, trying to help my wife homeschool the kid mm -hmm. into building a business. So I was working late nights. I started traveling a lot. I was, and, and when you do that, you kind of stop having the other things like practicing. And uh, yep. I, I, I was still teaching my own kids music a little bit, but it wasn't a it, just wasn't a daily part of my life. And uh, I will tell all the listeners out there, if you stop practicing for a little while and then you pick it up, you're frustrated because you don't feel like as competent as you were. Mm -hmm. So then you're less motivated to practice. So then you practice less and then you pick it up and you're worse and you don't want to practice. And it's just a downward spiral. <laughs> so uh, my hope is that uh, before I die, I will pick up a completely different instrument ah. so that I can actually get better rather than just moaning the fact that I will never be as good on the violin as I once was. <laughs> All right. So do you have any instruments in mind? Bagpipes. All right. Yes. I want to, I want to grow my hair long, wear a ponytail, get a big beard, walk around in a kilt, and blast out, you know, <laughs> powerful sound into the world so that the grandchildren will know, ha ha, that's a grandpa coming. <laughs> I'm sure lots of people would love to come to see that. <laughs> well, it's a dream. Uh, uh, I don't really plan to stop doing what I'm doing. And I don't think I'd go for the ponytail and long beard and kilt until I stop doing what I'm doing. So we'll see what what God has for my future. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so uh, let's see, what um, you've talked a little bit about uh, your music background, um, and I know that's there's a lot more to that story. You started into IEW, sort of dipping your toe into it, and then um, going eventually full time into it. Um, what what was it that inspired you to maybe start, but but also just really launch into IEW? Was it was it just the side gig aspect and then it just um, it just sort of grew? Um, or was it something that you just you got more and more excited about? What was it that, um, that I, I would you? say, you know, a combination of both. Um, obviously, it, you. You know, there's things you want to do and then there's things that you feel called to. Those aren't necessarily congruent. But as I got into traveling around and meeting a lot of homeschoolers and 
teaching their kids and, and starting to speak at conventions and feeling like I really had some valuable insight to offer, um, that just became more of the thing that I felt I should do this. I really should work hard. And, and then I would start to get stories. Oh, we used your writing program and it kind of changed our kids attitude about writing or, you know, this helped me understand my children better. And I, I didn't, you know, I've always been interested in reading and, and research and bringing helpful information to people. So I started to do some talks like uh, the one on teaching boys and other kids who would rather be making forts all day. Yes. And, you know, I didn't do all that research, but I found it and then I was sharing it. And then I would add in little stories of my life and my kids to illustrate the, the science behind it. And then that became a very popular talk. And then I kind of got into this whole area of helping people understand that if what you want is a good writer, what you really need to do more than anything is read out loud to your kids. I got into this big kick of trying to inspire people to read out loud. And, you know, I'd go to a convention a few years later, someone would say, I heard you say this, that this, and it changed our whole family life. And it's so good. So I think it was just the affirmation, you know, that, I was doing the right thing, that this was where God wanted me. There was a sacrifice for the family involved. You know, when you travel a lot, yeah. your wife has the burden of being the only parent at home. And, and, but she, she kind of got it. She, she started to really understand that we're in this together, and I'm out doing the, the teaching and the traveling and the building of a business, but she's supporting that by... Um, being enthusiastic mm -hmm. about the whole thing. So while she's been the, the kind of silent, invisible part of IEW, she's very, very much a part of it, as I'm sure your wife feels the same thing about your ministries. So um, so there's a there's a been a long history of of you working with with homeschool families throughout all this period um, with IEW and you've worked now with with multi-generations yeah it's and fun that's yeah. got to be really interesting so yeah i will be somewhere and and meet you know some 30 something year old woman or maybe a couple um with a few kids and she'll say you you don't remember me but i was living in such and such a place when i was you know a teenager, you came and did writing class for me, and yes. now I'm homeschooling, and here's my kids, and we're going to use your program, and uh, it's it's really quite gratifying in a way. And uh, you know, aside from my personal um, connection, it's a delight to see second generation homeschool families that are just thriving, like your family, like uh, you know Andrew and and other. Uh, Homes, kids who were homeschooled growing up ended up getting married or maybe married someone who wasn't homeschooling, but now they're in, they're homeschooling their own kids and tending to be very active in, um, you know, outreach mm -hmm. in the homeschool world and the homeschool community. So uh, I think we are on the, on the, not the very bottom, we're really well into what appears could be an exponential growth in Christian homeschooling and, and family-centric learning. So with with that experience um, and seeing the excitement of the current generation, what would you say are maybe 
differences uh, between the generations when it comes to um, engaging on writing or maybe struggling with writing and what what uh, are some challenges that maybe kids are struggling with now that maybe they weren't as much in the last generation? Yeah, the biggest change over my career and we'll we'll say 25 years okay. when I've been observing homeschool families and kids and teaching writing um, is that kids today just don't read anywhere near in the quantity that they used to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 20 years ago, you go to a homeschool convention, there's a bunch of kids around and most of them, you know, have their nose in a book. They're, they're, they're not terribly interested in sitting through talks and or they're in the hallway and their parents are talking to other parents. And so they're, you know, what do you do when you're a kid and sure. you're, you're bored? You read. That was the default. And all of that reading had the value of furnishing the mind with vocabulary and syntax and, you know, literary devices and poetic quality and ideas that, that were just, you know, kind of a normal part of a child's development. Today, uh, I would say there's a, a, a fraction of kids. I, I don't even know what it'd be. It's, I'm sure it's down to about one-fifth or maybe one-tenth of the kids read anywhere as much as how most of the kids used to read. And that is a problem on the teaching writing side because you can't get out of a brain that some isn't in there to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so what is the source? Uh, what are the primary sources, I should say, of, of high quality language coming in? Uh, it's much more common now to see kids at a homeschool convention and they're staring at a, you know, a screen or playing a game or occupying themselves. And, you know, I, I don't fault anyone. I think it's, it's somewhat accidental that we all just got into this world of screens and but the loss linguistically for for language development and consequently for thinking i fear that is not a good trend and i don't know how it will turn around because more and more even the schools are pushing for the paper-free classroom Let's just get a tablet yeah. or a Chromebook yeah. into everybody's, even all the way down to primary grades. And uh, this is going to have tremendous negative consequences long term. But it's one of those things like you won't know the consequences of what you did until 10 or 15 years from now. Although we're starting to see it because it was about 10, 15 years ago that the trend started. So that would be, I think, the biggest difference from my perspective. On the other hand, on the positive side, there are so many more resources and support networks and opportunities so that someone coming into homeschooling 20 years ago, you know, they, they didn't necessarily have all of that community support, all of that curriculum options, all of the online information that makes really homeschooling, uh, if not easier, at least more manageable mm -hmm. for parents coming in today to that movement. So. Yeah, there's always an upside and a downside to the passage of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, as we've seen uh, a lot of growth in technology and we've seen education um, use it a lot, um, what what have you seen as far as, um, there's been a lot of online classes, online ed education, Some in some cases kids are doing all of their school online. Yeah. Um, what would you say are some of the, maybe the 
uh, benefits and maybe some of the dangers of that or um, I don't know you you have certainly reached a lot of people through through video video technology um, but uh, but there's there's you know there's pluses and minuses to yeah. to, to, to some degree depending on how much you use it. I, I think I would make a distinction um, because online is a big word sure. and it means okay. a lot of things. So I would make a distinction between video-based instruction, okay, which is really what we offer. So uh -huh. it's video of me teaching live kids, engaging them, and then being able to, to send that experience out to children all over the world and to parents and teachers as well. So video instruction has really the power to allow someone to connect with uh, someone who has knowledge and enthusiasm and, and mastery. And so uh, video instruction is available in all sorts of areas, whether it's uh, let's discuss classic books together, let's um, let me teach you what I know about, you know, some science thing or foreign language or whatnot. Online can also mean um, a software-based interactive thing that allows for practice uh, of skills mm -hmm. or a game that is hopefully going to engage a child in learning and building repetition and learning things more than they would if it wasn't more game-like. And while I'm not opposed to those things per se, I do think there's danger, especially in using them with very young children. And, and part of what I, I'm always trying to help parents think is, okay, the way you're using this software, this application, this website, it, who's the primary driver? Is, is the human telling the machine what to do or is the machine directing the activities and thoughts of the person? Hmm. And that to me is fundamental because we want the proper relationship is that human beings tell machines what to do. Yeah. When machines start to tell kids what to do and create this immediate um, response dopamine circuit, like do this and you'll feel good, you know, and it's all the way down to shooter games, but you see it in some educational software as well. I'm not sure that's really the right relationship. Also, and as you've heard me say in the talks I've been giving, um, screens are very visually hyper-stimulating. If it's a video, it's like, okay, you know, I'm here with you. We're looking at each other. We're talking to each other. It's a very human experience. We can send that out into the world. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like someone's here sitting with us. But if I'm designing a thing that's going to cause you to react, that's a different experience. So I think that screen-based information can extend human connection, but it can also replace human mm. connection. So those would be the things I would, you know, encourage people yeah. to think about. Okay, yeah, that's that's really helpful. So um, switching gears again, and this probably needs to be our last question because we have to get some other things done and get back on the road to Santa Rosa. That's true. Um, so uh, what would you say to homeschooling dads whose wives get discouraged? Well, that's a, 
there could be all sorts of reasons as to why a wife is discouraged. Sure. So it would be hard to make kind of a, a general or categorical answer to that. But a few thoughts. Um, in, I'll just share in my case. Sure. Um, one of the things that frustrated my wife is she's just not a naturally organized person. Okay. And so a lot of her frustrations just had to do with the problem of increasing demands of kids and they get older and they want this and they want that and she's got more stuff to deal with and and, and younger ones and younger ones and you have seven seven, seven children yeah. so i think one of the things that i did to kind of help her was just assist in helping organize things and the way that manifested most effectively was a weekly family meeting mm -hmm. and a formal and like a formal meeting we're all going to sit down i would print up an agenda every kid would have a piece of paper with the agenda that had space to take notes the little ones couldn't take notes i said just draw pictures if you want but everyone has a piece of paper okay we're going to go through this we're going to go over the schedule we're going to go over any problems complaints requests we're going to go over what needs to happen in this next week and and who's going to do what to be sure that everyone's needs are met as well as possible and that was a anchor for her and many many times she said you know please don't let's not stop doing this or i'd be out of town she'd say well let's be sure we get the family meeting in sometime because it helps me a lot so uh that would be one thing um not telling her how to organize her life per se but assisting in being the authority and the administrator of a a time and space where being more organized was facilitated well. So yeah. uh, that would, I have a talk called the three, maybe four best things I did as a homeschool dad. Okay. And that's available online. If anyone wants to uh, go to IW.com and chat our people and ask for the dad's talk. Yeah. And uh, okay. so, because there are a few other thoughts, you know, the other thing is um, I, I think that, you know, wives, husbands don't necessarily realize that they need time alone and when you've got a lot of kids it seems overwhelming because you've been working really hard but now you got to like just take the kids away and give her some space yeah and that's a personal sacrifice but it always works out better because you've got time with kids and then she's got time alone she's happier happy wife happy life um and part of that time alone might be not necessarily alone but time to get together with other homeschooling mom friends and just talk through stuff. And, you know, we go to conventions. We do the events like this. And yep. You see these little gaggle of three right. or four moms. Right. And they're just so happy to have that mini retreat, um, just a couple hours to um, kind of think things through and talk things through and get new ideas and get re-energized. So creating that opportunity, I think, is the necessary sacrifice for a husband to make for a homeschool mom. Right. Well, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate um, your your wisdom. And you've mentioned several times over the last few days, um, I have an answer to a question often. Um, I have a talk on that and it's on it's available online. And I really appreciate you being willing to just share that. And and um, so if uh, if if you have a question, there's probably a talk on that. And uh and if there isn't an actual recorded hour-long talk, I've got 400 podcast episodes 
most of which are the response to questions we've had over the years. So uh, it's the Arts of Language podcast. Okay. Of course, you just search my name. It's a pretty unusual name. And, uh, and then you can look through the episodes and maybe people have questions about um, reading and writing challenges in dyslexia. Maybe people have questions about motivation. I have a lot on motivation. Maybe people have questions on, um, you know, what, what to, how to uh, help a, a really talented writer. Yeah. You know, a kid who really loves writing. How do you maximize that? So really quite a, a broad, broad range of episodes and some special guests in there. So, you know, I would encourage people to check that out as well. All right. All right. Well, as we wrap up here, I just want to say thank you very much for um, for doing this with us. And um, Andrew, you want to say hi real quick? This is um, Andrew Vandiver, president of Chia. Yeah. Just stopping in to say hi. Um, we've been hi. Uh, all together in the in the uh, in the van in the van and on the stage together Doing over the, the last trip. couple in... days. So we'll be continuing on together, and um, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Frontline with FPM. For more information about the topics we discuss here, check out Family Protection Ministries at fpmca.org and subscribe to our channel.